it's good to have you here. Uh, I don't think you're here because you have a conflict. I want you to know that. I'm not, I'm not prejudging any of you, okay, because uh, if we're all uh, serving the Lord um, and we all uh, have our feet on this ground, we are going to have conflict. I don't care who you are, except I did meet a fellow once who told me that he didn't have any conflict with his wife. And I said, well, how, how do you do that? And he says, well, she lives in North Carolina. I live in Flo uh, Florida. But it it's doesn't work unless uh, you're going to be with somebody. Conflict comes. If you're born, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have conflict with your parents at some point. You're going to have conflict with your children. Uh, now you take yourself and you go on the mission field. And that's what I wanted to speak about is about the mission field. That's what they've asked me to speak about and, and the possibilities that are out there. And they are numerous once you get to the mission field as if it was any different at home. But uh, when you go to a foreign, foreign mission field, uh, there is history there. I if you're an American going to a, a field, there, there's history there already. Um, there may be all different kinds of opinions about what we're doing on the mission field. Uh, there may be even uh, beliefs in the scriptures and maybe theologies that are different. Uh, there are customs that are different. Uh, there's one thing that I have found out, and, and I have been to 42 different countries. There's one thing that's always the same. Sin. Sin. The heart of man is desperately wicked. I don't care what country you go to. I don't care what church you're speaking at. That's the heart of man. It's desperately wicked. And as we have conflict, we cannot ignore. We cannot get bitter. We cannot ra have wrathful anger at others. We cannot run away from it. It's there. Uh, just uh, to name a few, we have cultural differences that are going on. And, and that uh, doesn't even talk about what happens within a family. Um, and let's say you had the ideal. Uh, I have some friends that have gone out from here, and uh, they went out as a team. And you have three fellows who were educated at the Master's Seminary, and you had, uh, had their wives that were here at uh, Grace Community Church. And they go out into a field, and guess what? They have differences of opinion. They have different ways of looking at things. And so that's the ideal, and, and there may be conflict because of that, um, just because you are in the in the family of God doesn't make you um, uh, any what uh, from, from not being in conflict. Let's talk about some specific things. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. Now, I have to keep looking around. I just thought I would give us a picture of conflict. You've seen this picture before. Uh, there are people in your church, certainly not you, but people in your church. Well, I want to look at Romans chapter 12. If we look at Romans chapter 12, Paul speaks to the idea of conflict there. And I just want to give you an, uh, a little bit of a picture of how often conflict is spoken about in the New Testament. As you know, Romans has 11 chapters of theology. Theology, 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 theology. He keeps going after theology. Then in chapter 12, he turns around and now he talks about practical living. And what does he start off with? that you would be uh, not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Starting in verse 3, we see, Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you that you not think more highly than you ought to be thinking. You are not to be proud, no matter who you are, how much you know, how long you've been on the field, 
Uh, it doesn't matter. You are not to be proud in your thinking. You are to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted uh, to each a measure of faith. Um, verse 4 there says that we're members of one body. Members do not have the same function. We're going to have different functions. We are to be of the same body. Um, go down to verse 9, and Paul continues there. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So how do we help our missionaries? If we're at home and this is going on there, more than likely they're not telling you. If uh, there's a conflict with a husband and wife on the field, you know what? They're not calling you up and they're saying, you know, we got a problem here. They're usually not saying anything about it until when? They're ready to come home. We can't do this. It's over. We can't serve alongside this other person. So we need to let them know that before it gets to that point, please get in touch with us. Please let us know how we can help you, how we can serve you, those kinds of things. This is what we need to be doing. We even see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 more opportunities for conflict. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, Paul speaks there, and he says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree and that there be no divisions among you. He's speaking to the Corinthian church, and right up front he's saying, Let there be no divisions among you. This is the church that was planted, and now they're having problems. Uh, so that's 1 Corinthians. Galatians, we see that in Galatians chapter 5. In Philippians, we see it again. And in Philippians 1, Paul exhorts them, to make sure that they have the same mind. In Philippians 1.27, conduct yourself in the manner of worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that whether I come or be absent, I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the gospel. He says that in chapter 1, chapter 4, he then picks out two people. Now, I don't think you would want to have your name in the Bible and be told that you need to get your act together, but he does it. And he says to Yodia and Syntyche, he says to live in harmony in, th in chapter 4, verse 2. And then in verse 3, he says, indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Here they are. They are actually gospel proclaimers. They're missionaries, if you want to say it in that sense. And they're having a problem. And so he's telling them not to be doing that. Now, where do conflicts come from? First of all, we need to understand that we have differences. Differences. Do you know I'm married 41 years and I found out that my wife and I are not exactly the same? Do you know she doesn't see things the way I do? Matter of fact, she doesn't remember things the way I do. I don't know how she could be wrong all the time. If you believe that, <coughs> my son-in-law will check me out. Conflicts come from a soil of differences. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different families. We come from different ethnicities. Sometimes we even come from different uh, cultures, and we come from different church backgrounds. And all of those differences cause issues, problems, those kinds of things. Uh, we have different and unique personality tendencies, habits, things that are, are more difficult to overcome. Uh, in some cases, we have different perspectives, we have different convictions, we have different likes and dislikes, we have different personal preferences and opinions. Uh, frankly, we have different ways to do things. 
and we have to respect the other person when they have a different way to do something. Now you throw on the mission field different schools of thought. Uh, I had tried to help out some uh, of uh, missionaries that were out on the field, and they had different backgrounds in theology because they came out of different schools of education. And so we had to help them work through some of those differences. Now we have this other thing called those who are task-oriented people and those who are people-oriented people. You get uh, a task-oriented person, and, and they're the one that wants to keep plowing ahead, and they're not looking at the people, and you got the other the people-oriented person, then they're sitting down with them and talking with them and having a cup of coffee and, and those kinds of things. So you have those kinds of differences. Then you have offenses where we, as sinners, treat someone sinfully. We uh, look down at them. We can do that with our words. We can do that with our actions. Sometimes we don't even know that we've done it. Have, have you ever been in that situation where you've offended someone and you didn't even know it? So you take that on the mission field. Proverbs 17.27 says this, He who restrains his words has knowledge. Sometimes we say things when we shouldn't be saying them. We should be listening, and we say things that hurt others. So we have differences, we have offenses, and then we have pride in the flesh that get involved. Pride in the flesh. Uh, we see that in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. The flesh fights against the spirit, the spirit fights against the flesh. But what is it that most often prevents the resolution of conflict? Pride. I'm right, you're wrong. You have nothing to add. I have it all figured out already. Pride. Pride blinds us. Pride uh, doesn't let us see our own sin inadequacies. Pride justifies our sin. It excuses our sin. Often pride keeps us from repenting of our sin. Uh, as an ACBC fellow, I had the privilege of being able to listen in on some conf uh, some. Uh, counseling that's being done, and you can hear it even in the voice of a husband who's saying that his wife does this, he does, she does this, she does this, she does this, and he never says anything about what he does. He's always pointing his finger at her. And then I listen to her, and she's always pointing her finger at him. And they're not resolving their issues. They're not looking at themselves first. So differences come and problems come from this disagreement that happens because of the flesh and the spirit. Here is uh, uh, something that you can know, and I see some of you are taking notes, so please do this. Desire plus unwillingness to yield equals jealousy, emotion, anger, and fear. Pride plus unwillingness to yield. Unwillingness to listen to the other person. That's why God gave us two ears. You've heard that thousands of times so that we would listen to the other person, so that we would hear what they have to say. And what happens is emotion is put on top of that. You add that to this desire that you have, and that all equals lust. I must have it. I am right. And you begin to fight for it. Whether it's between a husband and wife, or it's between different members on the on the team that's gone out uh, to, to reach others for Christ. The root of all of this, obviously, is selfishness and pride. My friends, if we learn 
to be content without getting our own way, we will solve most of our problems, most of our issues. If we're content to not get our way, we will have solved most of those problems. But you see, we grow as human beings having expectations. But our expectations should always line up with God, not with me, not selfishly, but other-oriented. That's what it should be. It should be God's expectations. It should be the Bible's expectations and not my expectations. We should also be, and try to teach people even before they go on the field, is to be willing to say they're wrong. It's be willing to say that you're wrong. Be willing to say, I have sinned here. Be willing to take the responsibility for it rather than, than being defensive for what you've done. Now, I want to give you some benefits. Benefits to disagreements. Uh, you know the story, Paul and Barnabas. They were working together, serving in a ministry. They had a little bit of a different approach towards ministry. And in Acts 15.39, listen to this. Acts 15.39, it says it this way and describes it this way. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. They had a disagreement. And in the providence of God, this was a good thing. That they then went into two different fields. Then the ministry was spread out instead of being in only one direction. And, and that wasn't a bad thing, but we can see at the end, John Mark, who was part of that problem, came back and was Paul's helper at the end of his life. More than likely, this disagreement was over preference, and it's okay to have a preference. It's okay to state that preference. And if you need to dis um, disperse, or you just need to, to, to leave one another or go in a different direction, go in the other direction, but you shouldn't do it with any disrespect or hate or any of those kinds of things. Disagreements are to be expected. My wife asked me when our children had uh, gotten married and left the house, she said, so what have you thought about the decorations of the house? Well, we had two girls. So what do we have in our house? Pink was everywhere. Pink was everywhere. I said, it's not my favorite color. I said, and flowers? I, I don't need flowers. And so we had that, dis that disagreement, or I should say the differences of opinion, but I never stated it. I wish I still didn't state it, because she then changed everything to what I wanted, and it cost me a bundle. <laughs> <coughs> what attitude, what attitude are two people or a team that's going out on the mission field to, to have? It should be the Philippians 3.15 attitude, and this is it. This perfect, have this attitude, and that is that we would have the upward call of God and Christ Jesus in our mind. It's all about Christ. It's not about us. It's a, it, whether it's in my, my marriage or it's in my team that I'm working with in ministry, it should be about the name of Christ. You know, even if you go to First Peter 2, it says that uh, our lives are like uh, the, the, the wheat of the field that's going to be burned and it's going to go away and nobody's going to even remember you, but the word of God stands forever. And that's what it's about. So that's the attitude that we need to have. These conflicts that come. So we're, what are some benefits? Well, number one, they encourage us to search the scriptures. Am I right about this particular issue? 
I, is it good for me here that I am afflicted, that, that, that I would have these issues so that I would grow? That's what I have to see. <coughs> Philippians, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 119, verse 71. The psalmist there says something that, that is, is very encouraging for those who are under affliction. It says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes, that I turn to your word to find the answer. And that's what I need to do. Disagreements can cause us to search the scriptures as it did for the Bereans. And those are the kinds of things that we need to encourage our teams to do when they're out on the field. We need to encourage our teams to not be fearful of calling us to let us know what's going out on the field. That's the, I think that's more of the issue is that they have a fear. I'm going to tell them something, and then they're going to remove me from the field. Well, I want you to know something. I, because Grace Church is as large as it is, they can call me. I'm not going to remove them from the field. I'm not even in on our echo um, department here. So they can call me, and we can talk through some things, and, and we can counsel through some things. In this day and age, we can Skype and see one another's face, and, and we can work through issues. And I have done that with many, many of our missionaries. Point number two there is that we need to think. If we, they can help us think carefully, that is the differences, about how and what we think and what we believe. Am I right? You see, we assume that we're right. We assume that it should be our way, uh, that, that our view is legitimate. And the question that we need to be teaching our people is, should I change? Should I be thinking of it the other way? You know what? I never thought of it that way. This, that's a different way. I'm, I'm now working with one of our other pastors to, to, to form a new ministry, and we're, we're talking about things. Well, I never thought of it that way. Let me hear what you have to say about it. We're going back and forth on, on ideas Rather than, you know what, I need to have it my way, and then my hand gets stronger and stronger, and I don't want to let it go, and now we have a disagreement. Point number three, it can help us work harder at communicating effectively. Uh, my wife tells me that. Do one of you men ever have your wife tell you you need to be a better communicator? Well, wait a minute. I preach every Sunday. I preach on f Wednesday night. I'm not a good communicator. Yeah, when it comes to husband-wife things, there's some things that I can do there to become a better communicator. Um, we need to make sure that we're a better communicator. Number four, disagreements can produce maturity and endurance. James chapter one says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So when you get into this trial, it's used by God to what? He's going to grow you. He's going to make you more of the man or the woman of God that you need to be. James one goes on and, and, and the promise is this that knowing that the testing of their faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's the idea is to be lacking in nothing. It goes on in verse 5 there. It says you need to be praying. That's what you need to be doing is, is praying through these kinds of things. And so it's a time to examine your heart. Examine the things that God has put before you. Point number five there, disagreements can help us to sharpen one another. They challenge us to respond in a godly way. I happen to be going through Second Peter right now, and it gives uh, qualities there that we should all have, faith, moral excellence, knowledge, godliness. You know, we get to suck on godliness, okay, and, and having that moral quality. What, what do we need to do? Perseverance is there. Patience is there. And I'm preaching to myself when I go through that. 
those are the kinds of things that we need to think about is that when we have these challenge, it's just an opportunity to grow. I, it's not time to, to throw down the gauntlet and tell the other folks in the team that I'm leaving. Point number six, they can strengthen our faith and truth that God is working all things together for good. He either is or he isn't. We either believe or we don't believe. And I would believe that any particular problem that he brings my way is for my good. God causes all things to be good. He does it for a purpose, to grow us. Point number seven there, they give us opportunity to practice servanthood, or, or should I say a servant attitude for the other person, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing for selfish selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, think more highly of the other person. Do not look out for your own personal interests, but the interests of others. Do I prefer my brother? Do I honor my brother, my sister? That's what we see in the scriptures, and, and that's frankly what we should be doing on the mission field. And I, and I know that there are issues that can happen there. They give us opportunity to love and to glorify God because he is the supreme savior. Whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, we're supposed to be giving glory to God. So if we have a difference of opinion with somebody on the field, we need to find a way to make haste to solve the problem. Years ago, I missed one of our elder meetings. And uh, uh, since I wasn't there, one of my friends, okay, came to me and said, they said this about you in the elder meeting. It wasn't a very kind thing that I heard there, but I wasn't there. Now, I do know in communication that sometimes you mess things up and sometimes we hear things improperly. So the particular elder who said that about me, I called him up and I said, can we go to lunch? He didn't know what I'm doing that for. I just wanted to talk to him. I said, so-and-so said, or, or something was said at the elder meeting about me, about this and this ministry. And he said, yeah, but this is what I said. And then I got the whole context. I said, great, can I get you some pecan pie too? You see, you don't want to let Satan get his way. Satan wants to divide. He wants to be able to, to take the church and cause issues, whether it be on the mission field, because he doesn't want more people saved, or even in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you some suggestions, and, and I call this for free. I'm going to give this to you as my jolt, okay? This is sort of a, if you're going to give them a little quick, here, you need to hear this. You need a little caffeine in your system. Here it is. Remember that the people that you serve alongside are not the enemy. Remember that. Do not make judgments of the other person. Do not make judgments of the other person. You inherently have differences. Work at accepting those differences. Both of my daughters got married the night before they got married. I said, you know, you ever notice some of the quirks that you're, the guy that you're going to be marrying has? Yeah. I said, can you live with that for the next 70 years? And they said, yes. Okay, I said, fine, don't come back. Jolt, oh, there is overlook non-sin issues. Those we live with and those we work with have idiosyncrasies. We need to overlook those non-sin issues. We like to put drink tea instead of coffee or those kinds of things. I see my friend from England here, so I can say that. Number three there, L, is listen. Listen. Listen to the view of others. Listen to what they have to say. 
You may think you know the best way. You may even have been on the field for 25 years, and you have this new country bumpkin that's just come out there, and, and he's going to tell you how ministry needs to be done. Listen. It doesn't always have to be your way. And the last is key is to treat them as more important than yourself. That's the Philippians 2. And frankly, I, I like to say this to folks, is put yourself in their shoes. Try, try to gain an understanding of it from their perspective. Uh, yeah, maybe they're new on the field. Maybe they see some things that you've missed for 20, 25 years. And so ask them, work with them. You know, this is the body of Christ. God does have the answer, and we're going to be with one another for eternity. So we should learn how to get along here. First uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, after Peter exhorts the husbands and the wives to get along, he says in First Peter 3, 8, he says to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Now, if he's exhorting Christians and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ in a church, and he names the churches Cappadocia and, and Bithynia and Pontus and Galatia, in verse 9 he says this, not returning evil for evil. Why in the world would you have to do that? Because it was going on. It did happen. Not or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead because that's what you've been called to do. And so we need to remind our missionaries and, and frankly, even those that serve alongside us in main ministry of these same kinds of things. Now, I, I put this picture up there, and I thought I would get a few laughs, but I didn't. It's okay. This is an ungodly way of avoiding a conflict. He's running out. Don't, don't run out. Face it head on. Most folks like to avoid it. They, they like to, to put it off. They like to put up the Heisman and, you know, don't come near me. I don't want to deal with this. I want them closer to me. I want my enemies to be right in my wheelhouse because I want to be able to talk to them about what God has to say. And so we'll get that funny guy off of, he, of, off of there. God earning ways to avoid conflict. Seek to know the other person. Seek to know them. You know, I, I'm married 41 years. I'm still getting to know my wife. Uh, I'm still getting to understand my wife. Uh, that's why it says in, in, in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. It never says that to wives. I've always, that's been a, a curiosity to me is because women study men. Men need to learn to study their wives. And so seek to know the other person. Appreciate him or her. Understand his or her perspective. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take planning on doing that. And, and if on the mission field, a husband and wife are having trouble, they need to come to the point where they can sit down and talk about it. But you know what happens? Maybe it even happens in your own home. You usually want to go in the other direction. You usually don't want to have this uncomfortable time together. Point number two, gather plenty of data before speaking. You need to understand what you're disagreeing about. Ask questions, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. Proverbs 18, 13, you don't want to give an answer before you hear because it is folly. Point number three is to pray and study and think about the issue before speaking. 
what happens, and I've seen this with young couples, they get married because they really were in love, whatever that is, and I don't think it's agape. I sometimes don't even think it was phileo, right? They just wanted to have legalized relationships, okay? And so now they're in this conflict cycle, and it happens, and it happens, and it happens, and they develop, what do they develop? They develop a, a habit of doing it. There has to be a point where you say, that's enough. I need to stop this cycle of going through that over and over and over. I said it before, Proverbs 17, 27, he who restrains his words has knowledge. And sometimes it's just good to put a cap on the, on the, on the noise. Number four is demonstrate and or communicate your love and care at the time of disagreement. Make sure that you are speaking to the person that, you know, I don't agree with you on this, but I love you as my brother. I love you as my sister. Can we sit down and see what God has to say about this? I, I think that's the wrong way of doing the ministry. I think this is the wrong way of doing this. I think, you know, this kind of, whatever it is. But I love you and I care about you and I want us to be the best that we can be before the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number five, and I, I think you hear something over and over again here. There, there is a, a, a certain thing that you hear. Listen more than you speak, but do speak. Listen to what they have to say. I often, okay, because I've been counseling all day. I go home, and my wife is telling me something. I'm giving her the answer. I'm trying to solve her problem. <laughs> and she says to me, can't you listen? Oh, so I have to remind myself, is this the time I'm supposed to listen or this is the time I'm supposed to give an answer? I, I, you know what? Listening is a good thing. Listening is a good thing. Point number six, matters of sin approach in love. If your spouse, if your team member is in sin, then you need to be approaching them in love. Why? Because you want to restore them. Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's the idea is to restore the other person. It's not to hack them down and, and try to undercut them, make them feel bad. No, you want to restore them as best you can. Now, if that sin keeps going on and on and on, then maybe it is time for them to come home. And then you have to talk to them in those kinds of directions is that you need to be dealing with this in a more serious way. Point number seven there in matters of preference, prefer others. Always prefer the other person. I, I feel sorry for the, for the children, the young people today. I really, really do, because they've learned to prefer themselves, even in the church. It, it, it's about me. It's my preference comes first. And I, I've had to, to rebuke even people that are brought up in the church. What are you talking about? You prefer not to go serve your wife that way? What, what you should be trying to do that and trying to serve her. But they say, no, I prefer not to go out early in the morning and move the car because it's cold out there. I said, you live in Southern California, live in Minnesota. Then maybe you can say it. Well, that's, that's what we have here sometimes. In matters of wisdom and conscience, suggest searching the scriptures and getting God to counsel. It's okay to call the home church and ask for help. It's not an emergency yet. Make sure you do it before it is an emergency. And point number nine is refuse. Refuse to sin in your communication. Refuse to call one another like the, the first the Peter uh, 3.9 passage says. Refuse to do that. Whether it's your brother or sister in, on the field, 
whether it's back at the uh, home church, whatever it is. Point number 10, be more interested in God's glory and the other person's good. That's what you have to be looking out for is the other person's good. And what God can receive in glory through that. And, of course, on verse uh, number 11 there is give a gentle answer, a caring answer to the angry word that they may be giving to you. And, and Proverbs 15, 1 and 2, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Biblical ways to resolve the conflict. Once you're in the midst of conflict, you're on the mission field and, and you can't move forward. You have two different ideas, three different ideas, whatever it is of doing ministry there. Uh, I had a young man come back for, uh, from the field because he couldn't get along with the other workers. And, and I said, well, can you explain it to me? And he says, well, we didn't agree on, on the m mission. And so what was your mission? And he gave me his idea for the mission. It was to plant churches and to preach the gospel, and their mission was community. I, I said, what does that mean? He says, that's the problem. I couldn't understand what that meant. And so, I, and he was not here, one of our missionaries. He was another missionary from another church in another area. And, and so I started to work with him, and, and I said, so how did you handle it? He still handled it in a way that needed to be handled better. He got angry a few times, and he got pushy a few times. I said, what you could have done was months and months and months before you got to that point was to say, you know what, we're going in two different directions here. I have the purpose of wanting to plant churches. I have the purpose of wanting to um, reach people with the gospel, and you seem to be wanting to do this other thing, which is not exactly what I want to do, so I need to go off the field. It's okay to do that. First of all, after you have had conflict, resolving a conflict, you need to confess the sin. Whatever sin it is, whatever you're aware of, that you need to repent, and you repent to God. I, I love what... Uh, David does in Psalm 139. David goes through all that uh, God knows of him, his omniscience, his omnipotence. He knew him when he was in his mother's womb. And, and he gets to verse 23 and he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Well, wait a minute. You just said he knew you when you were in your mother's womb. So he knew you pretty well. No, he's asking, I, I need a good heart exam. And you know what? We need to be doing those kinds of things all the time is check my heart. Do I have the right kind of heart? And here at this point of confessing sin is to truly repent. Repentance means there's a change of mind, there's a change of direction. That change of mind and change of direction then leads to a change in behavior. Think about your motives. Now, I understand what the Scripture says. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce bone, bone and marrow, and able to catch up the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Go to the Word of God. Let it help you find out what your motives are, if they're selfish or not. But truly confess it. Notice, he, he hasn't spoken to anybody yet. But then the second point there is to ask forgiveness. Ask forgiveness for each thing, naming it that you offended the other person. Whatever that may be, and how you did it, and then on how you plan to change how you offended that person how you plan to change what you did there. I sinned against you by doing this, and next time I plan to have a conversation with you rather than getting angry with you. Whatever it is, you're taking care of your 
self, not what the other person is. You don't have to worry about them repenting to you or asking you for forgiveness. You take care of you. That's point number two. Point number three, express a desire to resolve the conflict fully, that you want to make sure that each and every point is dealt with. When I do marriage counseling, I ask each person in the marriage counseling to write out a list of their sins of how they sinned against the other person. And I said, I'd like to have a, a list of 50 ways that you've sinned against the other person. This is what happens, and it happens almost every single time. The lady comes back with 50 ways that she sinned against her husband, and he comes back with three. I said, oh, I forgot to tell you, I'm going to switch the list, and she's going to write in the other 47. But what, and, and I know I jokingly say that, but I, I want them to then go through that list and ask for specific forgiveness for each of those sins. I have seen once that process goes through, some of the folks, their marriage has changed dramatically because they've never learned how to truly ask for forgiveness. Now, if they have children, not only are they asking each other for forgiveness, but if the children heard the sin, they need to be asking them for forgiveness. Now, let's say you're on the mission field and everybody on the team knows that you've sinned. Well, you need to be asking everybody on the team for forgiveness. That's very humbling, folks. That's very humbling. Or maybe even coming back and speaking to the missions agency or whoever else sent you out there and asking them for forgiveness of how you conducted yourself because you represent them. Whatever it may be, you need to be fully asking for forgiveness. Pray, obviously, again, together for God's wisdom, for self-control, to learn how to have self-control. Proverbs 16 32. I need to look that one up because right now it's not coming to the memory bank. I must have drawn too much on the bank. Um, Proverbs 16.32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Dealing with your anger. Make sure you're dealing with that and confessing it. <coughs> and point number five, the discuss or communicate with the team members. Uh, each of you need to be taking a turn and, and talking about the issue, what you saw from your perspective, what it was. Discuss the issues that precipitated the conflict. And, and, and well how do we solve this? There is a way to solve it. There is a way to resolve it, and you need to come to that point where you can resolve it. Look for agreement. That's where I ask folks to start. What do you agree on? Make a list of the things you agree on and, and make sure that you do agree on those things. And the last thing there is to decide what kind of issues you are dealing with. Are they preference issues? Are they sin issues? Are they conscience issues? Are they wisdom issues? And point number eight, decide on specific steps to resolve the issue. Folks, it seems like a lot, and we're going to show you a, a particular lesson through a scripture that I want to take you to. But all of this should become natural for us, shouldn't it? If we are believers, we should be doing it God's way. And let me ask you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles there, turn to Colossians chapter 3. I have found this to be one of the um, better passages to help folks 
marriage in the body of Christ because Paul here is speaking to people in the body of Christ. He's not speaking to husbands and wives in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. He doesn't get to wives and husbands until 18, uh, verse 18, which is in the context, but this could be for <coughs> anyone. If you look at verse 12 there, it says this. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So those who have been called and chosen by God. I, I always like to call our missionaries the all-stars of Grace Church, the heroes of Grace Church. I think anybody who's going to go into a foreign mission field and try to live in a foreign country, try to, try to learn a foreign uh, language, trying to um, not only do that, but then the customs and all of those things. A and I've been to many, many nations, and I, I they're different. People are different in that sense. I call them the, the, the hand-picked first team of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hand-picked first team of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are in Jesus Christ, chosen in eternity past for your work today. This very basic fundamental thinking should re relieve your heart of self-centered and self-focused thinking to believe the best about your brother or sister. That's what we're supposed to be thinking is the best about our brother or sister. They're not the enemy. And, and often when I've done marriage counseling and folks come into my office, I said, okay, I, you can see how angry they are. You can see it on their face. I said, do we have uh, anybody here with Taliban or with Hezbollah or with ISIS? Because you look like you're terrorists. I mean, it, it just, you know, they take their seats and they turn them away from one another. And uh, all they can do is yell and scream at one another. Wait a minute. If you're Christians, how can you act like that? How can you act like that? And, and folks, I've seen mission fields blow up because of missionaries who are bringing the gospel to the unbeliever act like the unbeliever. What are they doing out there? It says here that they are holy and beloved. And since you are uh, his child and you're on his mission field, uh, your opponent is not your fellow missionary. Your opponent is Satan. And you're allowing Satan to devour you. First Peter 5, 8. He's, he's looking to devour you, and you're allowing him to do that. Things you need to put on in order to prevent and resolve conflict. Here are the things that you need to put on. Compassion. Compassion. Our missionaries need to hear this. Are they the most compassionate people? Yeah, going out on a mission field to bring it to, the, to lost people in a, in a lost world? Sure. But they forget it sometimes. Compassion realizes its limitations and soberly and wisely looks at those limitations. Compassion is knowing God has appointed a place for each of us in his kingdom work. Compassion feels pity for those who suffer, acts uh, uh, to alleviate the suffering. The second word there is kindness. Kindness. This attitude is, is manifested in attitude and deed. It seeks to be friendly and helpful on the mission field that is most especially needed, especially in a team effort. There is a desire to meet needs by showing mercy and doing good, even when they do not deserve it. Uh, there's often where someone that I'm trying to serve here at Grace Community Church doesn't deserve to be served. They really don't. 
They're the person who says, gimme, gimme, gimme. And why didn't you take my call at 2 o'clock in the morning? You must all know about those kinds of folks. Those are the people that need to be served. They need to see Christ in you. So kindness, humility, humility. Humility is when you know that you do not know everything. Humility is when you know that you do not know everything. We can all misjudge. We can all misunderstand any kind of situation. Humility is knowing that what you have comes from God and it's not from yourself. Humility sees others as gifted by God, blessed by God, with gifts that can facilitate the, the ministry that you have and, and, frankly, bring about peace in your relationship. We're all great sinners, and we all need the grace of God. This attitude of humility allows us to be content with where we are. We see where we are in the status of Christ's community in which he has put us, and we need to believe that God is at work. I love Micah 6, 8, Micah, and it says there, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. That's what we should be about, especially on the mission field, because, folks, whether you're reaching them or not, they're watching you. They're looking at you. Gentleness is the next attitude. This is an awareness of one's own inadequacies. Gentleness is holding one's hand open, not demanding your way, not demanding. Uh, demanding always produces conflict. I want, I want, I want it now. It brings about conflict when you demand. The flesh wages war with our spirit. If one has the gift of gentleness, they know how to respond to times of temptation or stress. Um, as I mentioned to you, I was preaching out of Second Peter this past week, and I got to this particular verse here in verse uh, 7, and, uh, and, and uh, no, I'm sorry, verse 6. It says perseverance, and I looked at that word, and and I saw that pers perseverance is being able to remain under the pressure. Being able to remain under the pressure. Well, I happen to have been to India. And in India, they carry these baskets, and it's generally ladies, sometimes men, of bricks or cement, and they're remaining under that pressure. Now, if I was to go up to them and try to di distract them, those bricks would fall down. But these folks, you could walk right near them. They wouldn't even know you're there. They're remaining under that pressure. That's the great picture that I had of persevering through trials. That's what needs to be happen, happening, and we need to encourage our folks to do. The next is patience, which is very close to perseverance. <coughs> Glorifying God in the situation. That is going to help with any kind of sinful conflict. It's the key, really, here to avoid biblically sinful uh, conflict. Look to edify your brother or sister. How can I build them up, edify them? How can I find a biblical solution to our differences here? Patience is long-suffering. That will hold off response to injustices or unpleasant circumstances. Sometimes I'm asked to go out to see folks 
who are not getting along with one another. This is basically what we're going to take them through. We're going to show them these kinds of things. Bearing with one another, it says that in verse 13. Grace needs to be granted. We need to bear with one another in all of our interchanges with our brothers and sisters. Whether it's here at Grace Community Church or wherever, you need to be bearing with one another. It, it helps us to learn endurance. It, it describes the manner and the means they are bearing with one another. And, and frankly, it's in the uh, present tense, which means it's a continual action that I need to have towards others. It appears here that Paul is saying that others will annoy you at some point. That ever happened? I had some folks come up to me on Sunday. And, and they didn't come to my Sunday school class. They stayed out in the parking lot arguing with one another. And then they wanted to come up and tell me what the other person did. And I said, well, there's something that you didn't do. You didn't come up to listen to the word of God until both of you are gone. And I don't know that they like that, but that's all they wanted to do. They, these are the people that have been underneath my skin mouth for the last six weeks. And they're still there, bearing with one another. And if they heard me say this, they would go, hmm, yeah, that's what we're doing. Number eight there is forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Isn't that what's happened to us? Those who were once slaves to sin <laughs> are now slaves to righteousness. Slaves of Christ. I, that's, that's the most wonderful thing that any of us have heard. We ought to realize that God has forgiven us a gigantic amount. And, and I always give this example. And now that I'm holding my mic, which I don't normally do, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. But I say, I forgive you of this and I forgive you of that. And you say, well, I don't have to forgive you of that because now I'm aware of that sin. And you know what? He knew how much I was going to sin before he saved me. And he still did it anyway. And I, and I sit in my office sometimes. I go, why did he do that? I certainly do, don't deserve it in any way. Not only that, but in Isaiah 43, 25, this is God's speaking. He says, I am the one who wipe out your transgressions. And he says he's doing it for his sake because he's receiving glory. Now, I don't sin more, so he receives more glory. I want you to know that. And neither should you. But he receives the glory. And the last part of that verse, Isaiah 43, 25, and he says this, and I will not remember your sins anymore. Folks, that's the, the best news that we've ever heard. I will not remember your sins anymore. I, and, and as a, a sin-filled, blood-bought person, I love that. He's not going to remember it. So when he sees me, he's going to see Christ. He's not going to see Bill Shannon, the sinner. Forgiving one another. Now, that person could never sin as much as I do. I could never know how much they sin, and I cannot be reluctant to forgive them of their sin. Oh, but Pastor, you, you, you don't know if they really mean it. No, I don't, but God does. And God will take care of it. I need to leave it in his hand. I can't be the one there to judge. I don't know that they're really sincere in that. Or, you know what, they, they didn't scream enough or cry enough or anything like that. No, folks, I've seen people cry and it didn't mean anything, and I've seen people not cry and it meant a lot. You just don't know. So forgiveness, forgiving one another, because that's what we are called to do as Christians is to forgive the other person. Forgiveness is immediate trust, but it can take time. 
I understand that. Relationships can be uh, affected. Relationships can be um, fractured. And I'm thinking I'm going too long here. That's what I'm feeling, the pressure. Uh, Luke 16. <coughs> Luke 16, starting in verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, what have we been given that is full of wealth? Forgiveness. And that's why we need to be giving forgiveness. The last thing, I'm sorry, there's two more. One of them is love. One of them is love. I was just listening to S. Lewis Johnson when he spoke about the word love. The love that's here is a love of God and a love of others. A love of God and a love of others. The other love is Philadelphia. One of the other loves is Philadelphia, where I love others. And the other last one is Eros, where I just love myself. We need to have the love that's not only for God, but for others. It's a sacrificial love. And the last is number uh, is uh, number 10 there is the be thankful. Always being thankful for whatever God has given to you. Whether your ministry is large, your ministry is small, it doesn't matter. I, I've been out on a mission field where uh, we've been to a TMAI where they have six students. And I taught there for a whole week. And then I go to another one, there's 125 students, and I teach for a week. You know what? The, to me, there's no difference. There's no difference. If those four men can go out and bring the gospel to others, those are the exact people that God wanted saved. And if those 125 go out and, and people get saved, that's up to the Lord. We need to have redemptive thinking when it comes to these kinds of issues. Folks, just to, and I think it's, it's in your book, but just to give you three books, they are good uh, for helping your people who are out on the mission field resolve conflicts. One is Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Lou Priolo wrote a, a nice book called Resolving Conflict. Lou Priolo wrote a book called Con Resolving Conflict. And another one, which is fairly new to me, I just finished reading it uh, not too long ago, is called Pursuing Peace by Robert Jones. Pursuing Peace by Robert Jones. I don't know how old it is, but it also is a good book. Folks, I probably have gone a little long here, but uh, in helping your folks, this is my last exhortation. If they have to come home, let them find a good ACBC counselor, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. I have been a, a fellow there for the last, uh, I don't know, four years or so, but I have been involved with that group since 1992, and, and what they're doing in working in even overseas and in uh, helping folks is absolutely incredible. I have seen lives changed. I have seen churches changed because of uh, of that kind of ministry uh, to God's people. The people of Christ need to know that he has an answer for them, whether they be a missionary or they be somebody in the church pew. Let me close in prayer. Uh, if there are any questions, I'll be up here and um, look forward to that. Father, you are good. You are always good. 
And so, Lord, we uh, look out for our missionaries. We love our missionaries. We care for our missionaries. Um, Lord, we see them as on the front lines. But, Lord, it's, it's really no different than being in Los Angeles because the front lines are right here. Uh, they're right around us. They're right in everybody's neighborhood that's in this room. And so, Lord, we pray that as we are called out, holy and beloved, as we are chosen by you, called saints, that, Lord, we would act like it, that we would be people who would portray uh, the difference that Jesus Christ has made in our lives. Continue to form Christ in us. Continue to make us the people of God that would make you proud. We pray this in your name. Amen.